Good morning or afternoon if you're joining us online later. Glad to have you in here as I remind you that uh, you're the live studio audience. So we have added the, the big light to tell you when to laugh. So just assume that everything I say is a joke. Got it? Uh, not everything. Uh, well, I forget it. I don't know what's a joke and what, we'll just see how it goes, okay? Um, usually, I, uh, last, like last week, I covered about five verses. We we're just going through the Gospel of Luke. I'll explain to you more if this is, you're brand new. Um, so that was last week, it's five uh, verses. This week, it's um, 33 verses. So usually, I mean, you can do the math, uh, two to three minutes per verse. So I, there's muffins out in the lobby, okay? If you get hungry, uh, hopefully we'll get through this pretty quick. I think we will. It should be, should be good. Y'all missed your opportunity to laugh on that. Um, uh, so uh, the way that we usually teach is in what's called a series. That just means it takes a, a few weeks for us to cover the material. We've been in the series. This is week seven. We've got about four or five more weeks called Better. We're kind of the, the, the statement is when life hands you choices, choose better, right? And uh, really, really neat that the Holy Spirit gives us the opportunity to have him empower us and make wise choices, all those kind of things. So we've been in that series, but it's kind of a sub-series of a much larger series that we've been in for over a year now, just called the Gospel of Luke. So if you're brand new with us, uh, we just go open the Bible and we just teach it verse by verse, trying to figure out these books of the Bible. And the one that we've been working on is this, written by this guy named Luke. So Luke was a medical doctor, many of you know this, uh, turned uh, scientist, turned investigative reporter, right? So real person, real human history. This is a brilliant man who is probably uh, in, a, a, in a pretty good season of his life with his practice. He had already paid off all of his medical and school debt, all those kind of things, right? So this was a, there was no, I don't think that was really the case, but uh, Luke was well, 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 probably regarded. And what happens, really, really interesting, is this guy, Theophilus, who we, he's referred to in the scriptures as most excellent Theophilus. And so we can deduce from that that he's probably a, a, a Roman official, because that was a title kind of, uh, you know, given to Roman officials. And uh, so Theophilus, a Roman official, who uh, would have had to have said on a regular basis, probably at least daily, that Caesar is Lord. Now, with that, saying, making that statement that this, this human was a deity, with that statement came a lot of power, a lot of influence, and a lot of affluence. So this guy, Theophilus, well-to-do, lots of money, keeps hearing about this guy named Jesus. And when he would have started really thinking about Jesus, this would have been after Jesus would have lived, and after Jesus would have died, and then after Jesus actually came back to life, and then after Jesus would have gone and ascended into heaven, and all these first century folks are walking around, no longer saying Caesar is Lord. Instead, they're claiming that Jesus is Lord. And guess what was happening? They were actually getting brutally beaten, brought in front of crowds, and humiliated. And they still continue to say, Jesus is Lord. And so Theophilus is like, there's something weird about this. They don't have any power. They don't have any affluence. And yet they walk with so much joy in the middle of so much sorrow and pain. How are they doing that, right? So what he does is he goes and finds a brilliant researcher— scientist, well-educated, to go and uh, review who this guy is. So he hires Luke. Theophilus hires Luke. And Luke tells us in the very beginning of Luke chapter 1, he tells us he went and gathered all the written documents. That would have been other um, gospels, Matthew, Mark probably, written about Jesus. That would have been deeds and genealogies from the Roman Empire. He went and gathered all that. Then even more important, he actually sat down with all the eyewitnesses. So he went and met with the eyewitnesses who would have walked with Jesus, who would have seen Jesus before he was brutally murdered, would have seen Jesus after he came back to life, and would have seen Jesus kind of ascend into heaven. So we can assume he, he asked the first century apostles, those are the ones who walked with Jesus. We can assume that he probably sat down with Jesus' mom, Mary. We can assume that he probably sat down with the shepherds. And so he gathers all these eyewitness accounts, all these written documents, and then he went and sat down and listened to the local pastors the local synagogue who would have made uh, each week. Remember, they didn't have like written documents. A lot of it, very few written documents. A lot of it was just oral traditions. And Luke says, hey, I went and gathered the written documents and read them. I went and sat with the eyewitnesses and uh, heard from them. And then I went and listened to these, uh, these oral traditions from these pastors. And then he says he, he put all that together 
in an orderly account. And this is what he says. I write these things, hey, Theophilus, to Theophilus and to us, so that you can have certainty, certainty of the things you've been taught. And so when he's talking about certainty he, and who, the things that they've been taught, he was all talking about Jesus. You can have certainty in Jesus. And you can have certainty in the things that he's taught. And so a year ago, we thought, there's not much certainty in our world. It's filled with chaos. And so what do you do when you have chaos all around you? Well, you cling to what you know to be true. So how do we open up the scriptures and go, if this is true, let's cling to it. And so Luke writes the gospel so that we, I tell you all the time, that the, the, the books of the Bible are both timely, meaning they were specifically written to an audience like Theophilus, and timeless, meaning 2,000 years ago, as the Holy Spirit was empowering Luke to write this down, he knew, this is so, 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 so crazy, that you and I today would open up these words and read them. Now, that is such a crazy, mysterious claim. And yet it is so true. And what's so amazing about this is God takes up more than 30 authors, takes over 1,500 years through his Holy Spirit to write this book. And one of the prophets in the Old Testament says that, that every time God's word goes out, it never returns void. Meaning, the neat thing about reading all these verses today, 33, what the scriptures tell us is it will have its impact that it was intended to have. When Luke wrote these words, God knew that you would hear them today, and it's going to land on your heart. Got it? So, so crazy and profound, and yet so true. So only thing I would challenge you with today, and I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to jump in, that you would at least be open to the idea that this could be true. That Jesus is who he says he is. That he is Lord. And that what he came to proclaim was all about his kingdom. So Luke says a certainty of the things you've been taught from Jesus about the kingdom of God. 92 times in the Gospels is listed as the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. And the big aha that I need you to lean in and understand is that Jesus didn't come so that you could pray some prayer and get beamed up into heaven one day. He actually brought heaven to us, meaning right here in front of us today, it's available. So I would just challenge you to be the idea that could be real, and that could be a real possibility. So just open your eyes. All I'm asking you to do today, okay? Let me pray. I'm going to ask for us all to have the courage to open our eyes in the scriptures and hear God's word, and we'll just see what happens, because this day was written, you know, all the way back in eternity past. Got it? Uh, Jesus, would, would you have your way? Uh, I, I confess, Holy Spirit, that I'm a little anxious, and I don't, not quite sure what that is. But I just pray, Lord, that you would, Holy Spirit, that you would have your way completely in this room. That you would give all of us supernatural curiosity to be open to the idea that you can be loving, gracious, and good, and open to the idea that you might actually have a real plan for us that could, that, that could for many of us, begin today of finally living in and experiencing the kingdom of God. So Jesus, I prayed uh, John the Baptist's words uh, that you would decrease my voice, uh, decrease my opinions, <laughs> decrease my words, Lord. And what would increase would be your power, your might, your love, your grace, and your words today. And would you have your way? Pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. So I told you we're in a series called Better, which means every single week we're going to challenge you to make the better decision. And I'll tell you a little bit more about what the decision is today, but to kind of help us all get going, what, a couple things you got to know about beyond just Theophilus and Luke. I taught you a new word, maybe you already knew it, called typology. Okay. And so the idea of typology, particularly in the scriptures, is that uh, all the books of the Bible, written in many ways in sequence, sometimes out of sequence, but these, uh, you know, uh, 1,500 years, 30 plus authors to write this book. And every single person who's ever lived, there is always this moment that God was always, all the Old Testament, isn't just a book about how you should behave and how mad God gets when you don't. The whole Old Testament was pointing to a specific Savior, Jesus. Right? And so uh, the whole Old Testament, every time you see someone pop up, and you may be familiar with some of these names, Adam, Eve, Cain, Abel, 
Abraham, Moses, Jacob, Isaiah, you know, all these names that pop up, kind of the idea is every single one of them were flawed and broken, like you and I are flawed and broken. But every single one of them were actually, their life actually points to a true and better version, right? And so every single one of them in the Old Testament were pointing to a true and better Jesus. So the word typology just means that there is a true and better one showing up. I told you about Jonah and Solomon last week, but to help you see the whole picture of how this plays out, I just want you to watch this video talking about how Jesus is the true and better. You ready? Here it goes. The Bible is not a series of disconnected stories. It is a single narrative in which every story, every character points beyond itself to one who is greater. The story of Adam and Eve is not just about the first man and woman. There is a true and better Adam who passed the test in the garden and whose obedience is ascribed to us. There is a true and better Abel who, though innocently slain, has blood that cries out not for our condemnation, but for our acquittal. There is a true and better Abraham who answered the call of God to leave all the comfortable and familiar and go out into the void to create a new people of God. There is a true and better Isaac the son of laughter, of grace, who was not just offered up by his father on the mount, but was truly sacrificed for us all. There is a true and better Jacob, who wrestled and took the blow of justice we deserve, so we, like Jacob, only receive the wounds of grace that wake us up and discipline us. There is a true and better Joseph, who at the right hand of the king forgives those who betrayed and sold him and uses his new power to save them. There is a true and better Moses who stands in the gap between the people and the Lord and who mediates a new covenant. There is a true and better rock of Moses who struck with the rod of God's justice now gives us water in the desert. There is a true and better Job, the truly innocent sufferer, who then intercedes for and saves his foolish friends. There is a true and better David, whose victory becomes his people's victory, though they never lifted a stone to accomplish it themselves. There is a true and better Esther, who didn't just risk losing an earthly palace, but lost the ultimate heavenly one, who didn't just risk his life, but gave his life to save his people. There is a true and better Jonah who was cast out into the storm so that we could be brought in. There is a true and better Passover lamb, innocent, perfect, helpless, slain so the angel of death will pass over us. He's the true temple, the true prophet, the true priest, the true king, the true sacrifice, the true lamb, the true light, and the true bread. The Bible is not a series of disconnected stories. It is a single narrative that points to one person, Jesus. So if you've been around the church, uh, grew up in church, you probably recognize a lot of those names. Like, oh yeah, I recognize those, uh, those names, know about all those people, know those stories. And some of you are like, oh, don't know any of those people. Uh, am, I, am I still allowed to be here? Yep, absolutely. In fact, I would argue you might actually be in a better position today to respond to what I think Jesus has to you than all of us who have kind of grown up with all this, these words and all these laws that kind of show up. And so... Um, I don't know if you have a dog like I do, but one of the things that happens with dogs, especially if they're not well-trained, my dog, every time I get onto it, it just wets the floor, wherever it is, right? Uh, I don't know. I, I guess I'm just, I'm just an alpha male, I guess, and that dog looks at me and just, you know, whimpers. I don't know what it is. Uh, he doesn't do it as much now that I have this haircut, but anyway. Uh, so, um, so, you know, one of the things that's interesting about a lot of dogs, until you train them really well, ours isn't there yet, um, is whenever, like, you want them to get something, like, I, like, for example, I eat a lot of cheese, like cheese on the block. Like, I eat it like an apple. Not even kidding. Just big cheddar cheese, bite it off. And occasionally, I'll be eating it, and it will fall on the floor. Just a little bit. Not a big deal, right? I mean, 
just want to feed the mice. And so, like, I eat it. It goes on the floor. And my dog would just be walking around <laughs> looking at me and my cheese, knowing that at some point I'm going to feed it. So I got the cheese in my hand, and I'm eating it, and it falls on the floor, and he's just right there next to me. And I start pointing and going, hey, there's the cheese. Go get the cheese. It's right down there. Big block right there. Cheese, go get it, right? But every time I do it, I'm pointing at the cheese. But you know where he walks? Straight to my finger. Every single time he comes to my finger rather than going and getting the cheese, right? Like, so I'm going, no, 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 it's down there. Go, go get the cheese. And every time he keeps coming to my finger, and I got to do this. Got to kind of bring the finger down to the cheese. You got it? Because he just doesn't understand it. Now, one of the interesting things I've told you that God, through his spirit, empowered 30-plus authors to write this massive book that shows his heart and his compassion and his plan to make everything sad untrue, to mend every single broken heart. It tells us that there will be a day where there'll be no more tears and no more pain. And he tells that entire story of his creation, our fall, his redemption through Jesus, and his restoration into this world until one day there'll be this beautiful consummation where we will be with God in all of his glory, and he will come and rule and reign, right? So there's that whole story. But one of the things that happens in the scriptures is that, we get so consumed with the, these words. We go, we got to follow those. We got to follow the Old Testament. We got to keep the Ten Commandments, all those things. The one thing that I'm convinced that we've done is we have chosen to look at the God's word and religion like it's a pointing finger. And you got to see that this, it, this whole scripture is actually pointing to our salvation, pointing to how we can live and rule and reign in this world and the coming world, right? to actually participate in the kingdom of heaven through Jesus. So this whole idea of typology is going, hey, it's not about Moses. Moses is just the pointing finger. And all the, it's not just about Abraham. It's not actually about the Ten Commandments and following all the rules. You're incapable of following all the rules. The whole point is these words are supposed to point you to the one who does save. So all the Old Testament, all the rules and laws, there's 613 of them. All of them are helping us come to a conclusion that we cannot save ourselves, and they all point to the fact that there is either no hope, which look in our world right now and go, it doesn't seem like there's hope, or there is hope in someone greater than us. So all the scriptures, all are pointing to Jesus. And so what happens is we take these scriptures, or someone else will take a different book that's not divine or God's word, and they all go, all you got to do is follow all the rules, and everything will be okay. But the truth of the gospel is you cannot follow the rules. And so when we looked last week, we uh, saw some people, Jonah and Solomon, but they weren't actually capable of following the rules. In fact, at the end of the story, after Jonah in the Old Testament finally tells the people to repent, and the Ninevites do, Jonah's actually mad about it. He's mad. He goes and pouts. He's like, I wanted you to destroy them. Right? They're bad. They didn't follow the rules. And yet God showers his grace. Why? Because he's pointing to a true and better Jesus who's actually going to shower us with grace, going to cover our sin, right? So they point to that. But what happens as we read the scriptures is we kind of go back to the pointing finger and go, all we got to do is behave. And many of you believe Christianity is about your performance. But that is a fool's errand. In fact, Jesus is going to call us fools for that errand. Right? So this is not about trying to perform better. It's actually about seeing and responding to Jesus. So this week, you're going to get the opportunity to choose Jesus over religion. And let me define these for you real quick. Religion is man's attempt to either get back to God or become their own God every single time. And you go, well, I'm not really religious. Okay, okay, yeah, I get that. Not, this isn't like a gotcha shot. The reality is you... You just have a different religion, the religion that says there is no God. And so what do you do if there is no God? Which I understand that this is where you live and that kind of stuff. What do you do? Well, you come up with your own rules in your own world where you just kind of, oh, this is so offensive, but hear me, just say, and, and Christians don't go, oh, yeah, you got him. I'm, please, none of that. It's just, in, in that world, you just kind of become your own God because all you have is your own kingdom. You got it? Now, you could do good, and you can come up with the rules of why you do good and all those kind of things, but ultimately, in some sense, it's just going, ah, there's no other God, so I guess the best I can do is what matters to me, so I'll just do that, right? So religion is either getting to a spot where you're just focused on you and your kingdom, your people, whatever that is, or it's you've come up with a set of rules, 
You can read Judaism in this. You can read uh, Islam in this. There's a bunch of rules, and if you finally follow all the rules really good, you will please God, and you can be welcomed into his kingdom. Or if you follow the rules really, really good, you will evolve into a more enlightened, more spiritual being to one day you'll finally get to nirvana and then you'll just cease to exist. Right? So all these different things are just man's attempt to either get to God or become their own God. But it's so unique. Where I can pick up Christianity, the way of Jesus, as completely different than any and all other religions. In Christianity, it's not a demand that you figure out how to get to God. You can't. It's not a demand that you perform really well. You can't. This is not your attempt to get to God. It's actually Jesus. It's God's perfect attempt to get back to you through Jesus. So you get to decide, do you want to live in this religious realm? And one of the things that happens in religion, you'll see it today, is it always produces one of two kind of emotions. Pride. Oh, I'm so much better than those guys. Until you come up to someone who's better at it than you are, despair. Those are the emotions that end with all religion. Either pride, we're better, we're smarter, we're more capable, or despair. There is no hope. I cannot perform these rules well enough. So today, I just want to invite you to trash religion, all of it, and walk in and experience the joy and peace that comes with just resting in God. Now, the way we're going to do this today, usually I tell you that the way that the gospel happens is you hear about it. Here it is. Then you think about it. That literally is the, the term we get for repentance. You change what you think about, change the way you think. You think about it, then you start to speak about it. It's so crazy. The scriptures say, faith comes from hearing, hearing comes from the word of God. So you hear it, and it says, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, right? There's that, that Jesus is Lord, you'll be saved, right? Just saying it, right? So you hear about it, you think about it, you speak about it, and guess what happens? It actually is brought about. Now, that is one way to do it with one sense, your ears, Today, there's another option. So when I go, choose Jesus, I'm not just saying, just double down and go, oh, I've got to choose Jesus, right? Let me give you some actual practical steps to how you, brand new Christian, not quite here yet, this is the leap today, or been doing it a long time. Here's what they are. You see him, then you receive him. See him, then you receive him, then you respond to him, Right? And then you reflect them. You see, sometimes we think we have to respond and reflect before we receive. But that is a fool's errand. Because you are not capable of doing what Jesus has planned for you on your own. Only the work of the Spirit. So you got to see him. Open your eyes. Open your eyes. So big decision day is for you to completely open your eyes. Got it? And then receive him. Let him in. Then respond to him. Yes, Jesus, your Lord. Right? And then what happens is Jesus... It's a true and better you, right? Jesus comes in and start, you start to reflect him. Not of your own work, but what Jesus does in you. So see him, receive him, respond to him, reflect him. That's going to be really helpful as we move forward. to so Luke chapter 11, verse 33. Uh, he's just said he's a true and better Jonah, true and better Solomon. And here's where we are. Watch what it says. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it in a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. Got it? So he's just told them that he's a true and better version. He's called out religion. He's invited them into this. And he's talking to a very religious crowd. These are folks who have a lot of pride, no despair at this point. They are really good at their religion. You're going to see later, they have gotten so good at it. They have a system that even spied out of their, I mean, tied out of their, see what I did there? Uh, tied out of their spice rack. Not spied out of their rice, yeah, tithe, give money out of their rice rack. They have a spice rack. There it is, right? There is something in there that they have this nice little rules where they're really good at following them. Tithe just means give 10%. That was a performance duty for them. And so they were so good at it. So he's talking to a religious crowd. And the first thing he says is no one after lighting a lamp puts it in a cellar or under a basket. I mean, that's simple, makes sense. Hey, so whenever you create light, the purpose of light is to see. But the greater purpose of light is actually to dispel darkness. Right? One of the weird things that the church gets wrong all the time is we just scream at the darkness. We just remind them of how dark, and that's so dark, and that's so terrible. We got our bullhorns and all those things. We just scream at darkness. And then we're frustrated that the darkness doesn't go away. Right? But we all know this. I mean, this is what Jesus is saying. Like, the way that you get rid of darkness isn't to scream at it or convince it it's dark. There's only one way to get rid of darkness. It's to bring in light. In fact, so profound that light and darkness cannot 
will not coexist. Light always dispels darkness. So he's going, hey, let me just help you. You're so busy performing, so let me just give you kind of an analogy. Hey, when you light a lamp, very, very important 2,000 years ago, they didn't have electricity, so they would have had these gas lamps that they would have lit, and everywhere they go, they would have t- took it with them, right? That's how they see at night. And they, there would have been places in their house where they would have you know, sit it up on like a, 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 a shelf, and then all of a sudden, the, the light would kind of, you know, illuminate the whole area. And so he goes, no one after lighting a lamp is going to do that. But you put it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. If you're going to have people over, you don't want them walking around and, you know, hitting themselves, just, you know, that they didn't have any kind of like... Uh, insurance to cover litigious things like getting hurt in someone's house, right? So they don't want any of that kind of stuff, so they got to be careful until so they go, hey, light, put it on a lamp, you all know this. Verse 34, your eye is a lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when it is bad, your body it's full of darkness. So they're going, what in the world is he talking about? He just said he was a greater than Jonah, and he says that he's not going to give us any signs other than on the third, like Jonah, the sign of Jonah, and they don't know that means he's going to be brutally murdered, and that murder, which seems to be really bad, and put in a tomb really, really bad, is actually going to be one the greatest moment in human history when he comes, resurrects his body, same power that lives in him, and that's available to us, right? So resurrects his body. And so they didn't understand that. They're like, what in the world is this crazy guy doing and talking about? And so he goes, light, light, light. You you know, and you have light, you put it on a stand. And here's the thing, if your, your eye is the lamp of your body. So he's going to take that, you know, the kind of metaphor and put it in here. So your light is a lamp of your body. So what he's saying is, you know how you like your house, you can't see in it until a light goes on? You cut on that gas lamp, and when the gas runs out, you're in big trouble because it's dark. That's like, your, that's like your body, okay? So your body, the way by which it sees, the way by which it operates is through light and the way that light gets in really really simple is the eye so he's literally just saying look you got to open your eyes so open your eyes open them up look around open them up see so get to it see me open them up now that seems really weird to us but you do it and i do it right so let's say you have a lot of debt i don't know credit card debt probably this size room yeah online there's there's many of us that have it and You've gotten to the point with tra- you've, you've actually not been able to balance your budget, right? Not been able to balance your budget. And you each month probably go a little bit more on the credit card debt, pay a little bit less on the bill, right? No judgment. Just understand the experience. Boy, do I. Right? And uh, those credit card statements show up at your house. And you get them, and what do you do with them? They go right into the shredder or right into the recycling bin. Many of us don't even open them right? Because we don't even want to stare at that. We know there's something in there, but we honestly cannot come face to face with it, so we throw it away. Now, uh, another one, another one, right? You got that bathroom scale. It's been sitting in your bathroom for months, years, but we don't step on it, right? Because we don't want to go face to face with what the last six months, what the pandemic has done to us there, right? So there are places are, maybe you have um, kids and they have their own cell phone and they can text. And you know, you should probably keep an eye on what those interactions are like, right? But many of us, we're suspicious that something's going on. We're suspicious, but we're going, oh, I just don't want to know. What I don't know is what I don't know, right? So we just don't look at it. Why? Because we're afraid if we open our eyes, we won't like what we see. So he's saying to these religious people, you got to open your eyes. Like you have shut your eyes. You've gotten into this holding pattern where you just perform your rules, tithe from your spice rack, but you have to open your eyes. And this is what he says. Therefore, be careful lest the light in you be darkness. So he's saying, if your eyes aren't open, you don't really open your eyes. If you don't face the brutal facts, you cannot manage what you cannot measure. So if you don't actually come face to face with what's actually going on in your life, what's actually happening in you is you are being filled with darkness and deceit. Now he's setting them up to help them understand that there is deep darkness in them. And he's going, you just got to open your eyes. Now what's so amazing is they're not going to. And many of us cannot do it. We cannot actually deal with how broken we really are. Because we don't want to reckon with it. And the reason we don't want to reckon it, right, the reason we want to face it is because 
we don't really know what to do about it. And we have played the tape out with that, letting people into your debt, letting people into your internet history, letting people into those bottles in your house, letting people in because we have come to the conclusion that if we let people in, it's going to end really badly. And so he's going, you religious people, you all are doing the same thing. You all are putting on these fake masks and performing, but you don't know because you know deep down you're literally just trying to pretend because you think it's actually you because everybody else is good. But what you don't know is they're all putting on the mask and they are just as broken. That's why I love the church. It cannot be a place of condemnation because what we all know, if you're a Christian, the way that you become a Christian is coming to the conclusion that you are far worse than you actually could ever imagine. And yet, far more loved and far more forgiven than you could ever hope. Right? So that's what Christianity is. Christianity is this base kind of going, we cannot hit the mark. That's what sin is. We cannot hit the mark, and therefore we have given up all of our rights, and the only way we can get back to what God has for us is through a Savior, right? So he's going, you got to open your eyes. Therefore, uh, therefore, uh, be careful at lest the light in you be darkness. That word careful there literally means keep your eye on. So it's interesting. So he goes, open your eyes. And then he says, therefore, be careful. He's going, really? Open your eyes. Open your eyes and then keep your eyes open, right? So open your eyes, then be careful. Open your eyes and make sure that your light in you is not darkness, right? That, the, that, that stuff, that ickiness inside of you, right? Uh, so this is what we see, uh, verse 36. If then your whole body is full of light, because you've opened your eyes, if then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, it will be wholly bright. As when a lamp with its rays gives you light. So, if your whole body, if, so I've been asking you to open your eyes, if you then can open your eyes, not even fix you, hear this, it doesn't mean go find the darkness, go search the darkness. The only part of this is going, if you'd open your eyes, if you actually open your eyes, you let the light in. And as you let light in, as long as light keeps coming in, as long as light keeps coming in, it will have no part with dark. Every single area, every single nook and cranny. And it will be wholly bright. As when a lamp, see this, with its rays gives you light. That word rays there literally is defined in multiple parts of the scriptures as lightning. Like there's real power and light that could be inside of you. Not that you're creating, but that you are not withholding and not keeping from being able to enter you. So the only part of this, only part we have so far is open your eyes. Don't perform. Don't fix your problems. Right? Don't come up with a scheme that gets you out of debt or none of those things. The only thing at this point he's telling them is just open your eyes. If you open your eyes, you'll be in light. Okay? Now watch this. So that was the message. And they're going, wait, 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 what about our tithes? Don't you want to talk about how we should do that because we're really good at it? Or what about our, our outfits? Don't you want to talk about that because we're really good at it? Hey, hey, what are you talking about? Like, we have 613 laws. We're really, really good at following those. Hey, Jesus, why don't you talk about those things, right? And he goes, no, 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 all I want you to do is open your eyes. Just open your eyes. Like, this is so simple for the gospel. Just open your eyes. Now, the religious people, it says, and while Jesus was speaking, watch what it says, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went in and reclined at the table. So this is this group of people, like a really fancy church with really fancy, well-to-do, very polished people. So the Pharisees would have been kind of like the members of this glorious performance art church, right? very good at doing all the right stuff. And they would have kind of submitted to what would have been called scribes. So it would have been like the teachers of this. So, you know, it's a really, really religious church. There would be a teacher that goes through the Old Testament and tells you how to perform all the laws, including don't ever boil a baby goat in his mother's milk. Thanks, that's really helpful. And so all the different things, right? So there would have been a religious leader doing that, and these guys were really good at performing. And so this Pharisee, here's this message, and he goes, wait, wait. Hey, Jesus, will you just come eat with me? This is so beautiful because we see Jesus uh, uh, eating with broken sinners all the time. And we're going to see him eat with broken sinners here too. They just don't know they're broken yet. So these are religious people. Jesus ate with everyone, right? So he gets invited. Every time Jesus gets invited, he comes in. So, so profound to go. When he says, behold, I stand the door and knock. If anyone will open the door, I'll enter and dine with them. He means that. So we see him. And then we receive him. So we go, oh, maybe that's what this Pharisee is doing. Maybe he's seeing him, and maybe this is the time to receive him. Let's see. So he invites him and asks him to dine with him. So he went and reclined at the table. Jesus is there with all these really good performing religious people. 
Verse 38. This is so funny. The Pharisees was astonished. The Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner. Now, this is so funny. I want to help you understand this. This should give us some hope, okay? So we're going to, you know, call out this Pharisee, make fun of him, all that kind of stuff, his judgment. And some of you are like, well, that makes sense, right? Like, you really thought it made, you thought it made sense a year and a half ago before COVID. And you're like, yep, wash your hands 12 times, right? And so this Pharisee is looking at Jesus, and he is not washing his hands. So a thing to remember, that Luke is the writer of this. And he's empowered by the Holy Spirit to write it. But do you remember how he wrote it? He went and read all the written documents. He went and listened to all the oral traditions. And what else did he do? He went and sat with the eyewitnesses. How does he know that this Pharisee was astonished? Perhaps because this Pharisee is the one who finally acknowledges the brokenness of his heart. and goes, hey, I was with Jesus. I was thinking these things. Let me tell you how it played out, right? So the Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not wash before dinner. And boy, I would like to spend a lot of time talking about that. We don't have time. So he didn't wash his hands. There's judgment to be had. Got it? So his hands are dirty, right? Dirty. And so he was astonished. That means literally in all. So he's going, this is the king. He keeps calling him, you know, that he's the son of man. Like this is supposed to be deity. He doesn't even wash his hands. That's like the lowest level of performance loss, right? Doesn't even wash his hands. That's not hard. Verse 38, and the Lord said to him, it's so beautiful. This guy doesn't say it out loud. Of course he doesn't. It's just all in his heart. And that's what's so weird about religion. Just, we got so much stuff in our head and heart that never comes out. So this guy didn't even say it out loud, but Jesus is going to peer into him, right? He invites him over, so Jesus is going to be there, and this is what he says. Uh, verse 40. Uh, I'm sorry, verse 39. And the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you're a full of greed and wickedness. So this is really interesting because, you know, we just started on light. Let light in, let light in, let light in. And so one of the things we go, oh, if Jesus wants to do something else, that means I need to perform well and I got to start living like Jesus and following Jesus. But the problem is, is when we do that, we can sometimes see him and then move to our own power to just try to reflect him. So Jesus goes, hey, let me show you how this works. So Luke's going to help us understand that it can't be about a performance. So he goes, hey, here's what really happens for religious people. Now you Pharisees, you clean the outside of the cup and of the dish but inside you're full of greed and wickedness so there's two metaphors here he's going to, in, in one sense your, your cups are dirty they're just on the inside where you can't see it because it's too dark your cups are dirty but no one knows they're dirty because you've done a really good job cleaning the outside and he's going hey pharisees that's actually what your church is like right you are you are outside you are clean and pretty but inside let me tell you you're full of greed and wickedness and no one knows because you won't open up your eyes and let this in so let me just show you what it's like to open up your eyes and so he calls it out then he says something really offensive verse 40 you fools you fools did not he who made the outside make the inside also so it's so interesting like you're performing you're performing you're performing on the outside but who are you doing this for? Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. You're religious. You think that somehow God is going to welcome you into the club if he sees all your good performance. But let's, let's walk down that path, Pharisees. You believe there's a deity. You believe there's actually a God. If you believe there's an actual God who is watching you perform because somehow that gets you into the club, do you see how broken this is, Pharisee? You believe that somehow your performance gets you in the club and there is a God who's keeping watch of you like a hawk. Now, do you not think that same God who formed you can also see what's inside of you? Did he not who make the outside also make the inside? And he calls him a fool. And there's two different words that usually show up here. Jesus actually tells us in a different part of the scriptures, don't call people fools. That's not very nice. And that, in that sense, it's the word stupid. Stupid, right? Just stupid, right? But that is not even the one he uses here. He actually uses a worse pejorative. This is not stupid. It literally means, it's the word uh, insane one. It literally based on the etymology, can mean foaming at the mouth. So he goes, you are insane. You are absolutely insane. It literally, it's defined this way. Uh, lacking perspective, insane, because you lack perspective because of your short-sighted. It describes someone lacking true moderation because they fail to grasp cause and effect relationships. You cannot play the tape forward, so you are just consumed with your appetite. All times, perform, perform, perform. You are like an animal 
right? That just, you know, so he's going, you fool. I told you, fool's errand. Fool's errand. Did not he make the outside, make the inside also, right? And so he's going, hey, if you believe there's a creator God, do you not think he sees and knows all things? Which should create some trepidation for us. Now watch what happens next. Verse 41. But give as the alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. So you have all this outside stuff, and you're given all the outside stuff. You're given 10% of your, your uh, spice rack. You're given 10% of your, you know, your lambs. You're given 10% of your corn produce. You're given 10% of your grapes. All the things that people can see. But you're not even given 10% of what's inside of you. But give us the alms, those things that are within. That word alms literally means to give charity, means to do good. You're not even offering 10% of yourself to the world around you. All the outside stuff, boy, do you look good. But in your heart, you have not even tithed, you haven't even given a portion of your heart to God himself or to the people of God or to every single man, woman, child who God created. Right? Now he's going to say some really offensive things. He's going, if you would do that, you would be clean. But you're too busy trying to perform this performance duty and you are filthy, but no one knows it. But if you would open your eyes and you would receive this, and you would let light come in, and out of that light, just offer yourself in whatever capacity. You would be clean, right? Verse 42, but woe to you Pharisees. Woe to you Pharisees, for you tithe mint, told you spice rack, and rue, and every her herb. <laughs> and I'm really staying focused. And neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the other. So he goes, hey, hey, listen, you still do this performance art. So I just told you, if you would just give a, the alms from what's within, you would be clean. You're trying to clean yourself, but you are filthy because inside you're dirty. So all I'm asking you to do is actually open up, receive the light, and then respond by giving your heart back. And so that word justice there sometimes means judgment. But in this way, it's a little bit different. It actually means to, to respond in justice to the people around you. He's going, if you'd open your eyes, you would see the pain and sorrow out there. And you would realize that because I've been gracious and merciful to you, and I've been generous to you, that you should also be generous to others. Right? He's going, if you would just open your eyes, See what's around you. If you would just open your eyes and come to a conclusion that the things that you have weren't just because you worked hard, right? The things that you have weren't just about your performance, right? They had to do with a lot of other influence. And if you would just open your eyes and come to the conclusion that you have more than you need and they have less than they need, then wouldn't it make sense that we'd start serving in that capacity, right? If you'd open your eyes, you'd come to the conclusion that God has been gracious to you because he wants you to be gracious to others. What do you do when you have more than you need? You either store it away. This is another place that Jesus calls people fools. It's a fool's errand. Or you make it available to others. So he goes. What's going to happen, if you open your eyes and you receive me, like my grace, my love, my care, when you let darkness come into you, what you'll start realizing is that you have lots of little idols. Maybe it's control and security, and that's why you hoard Maybe it's just pleasure, right? Maybe it's escape for the pain in your life that's down there that you have not even opened your eyes to. But if you would open and let me come all the way in and give you my sight, if you could see as I see, what happened is you would love me and therefore love justice. They go hand in hand. If you actually let light in, the natural response to seeing me and receiving me is actually you respond to me. You receive me and you receive my grace and you respond as someone who's also gracious. And as you start to respond to someone, as someone who's also gracious, what's actually happening is you become one of those typologies, right? You, you become someone who reflects Jesus. This is why it says in Matthew, let your light shine before man. Light comes into you and it fills all of you. Then it overflows out of you. That's what it says in the scriptures. Out of the overflow of your heart, the mouth speaks. So you let it all the way in. And what's going to happen is there's going to be so much light, so much light, so much light, you are not going to be able to contain it. It's a vessel. You go in, you shine it out, like literal lightning, right? You receive it, and then you go out. So imagine like these big, massive clouds of storms, and you're just, you know, you know what happens. The clouds just collect, 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 and finally it gets to a lid where it cannot contain it anymore. You let the light in, let the light in, let the light in. How do you know if you've let enough light in? How do you know if light's gotten there? Because your natural response is actually to respond with love and justice. 
Right, that's it. It's not you do those things because you think it's performance art. You do it because Jesus has filled you with so much light that you cannot contain it. Everywhere you go, light just goes with you. So when you walk down the street and there's pain and sorrow, guess what's coming out of you? Light. When you interact with a, the cash register at, uh, at 7-Eleven, what's coming out of you? Light. When that person pulls in front of you accidentally, right, and, uh, on the interstate, what comes out of you? You can tell, right? What if it's light? What if it's great? What if it's peace, right? So you, your only job here is just to open your eyes. Don't close your eyes. Let me in is what he's saying. And then he says, but woe to you Pharisees, right? So this is a judgment. Now we hear that word woe when we hear anger, but it's actually a lament. So he is telling us that our performance will not save us. In fact, our performance, if we play it down, we are fools because we have become crazy in what we think our religion requires of us. And he's going, if you play the tape forward, what ends up happening is you will destroy your own life, right? You know religious people who have either made really bad decisions because they can't perform and then social media fires up on it, right? Ha-ha, they're the ones with all the condemnation. Now look at them, right? Or you know people who lived in religion. Maybe you're a product of family and grandparents or great-grandparents who are so religious that it turned you so off, not only from Christianity, but actually from your family, right? That's this religion, this performance will just destroy us. So he goes, whoa, there's just going to be so much pain for him. And he says in uh, verse 43, woe to you Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogues and greeting in the marketplaces. You see, you are really good on the outside. Boy, do I know this story. How are you doing, Josh? I'm doing wonderful deep down deep pain right but i gotta get up i gotta perform well gotta stand up on that stage right all these different things he's going man what you look for is you look for the right seat to be seen right you go to the grocery stores you go to the marketplaces and you are looking for your own validation you post on the social media threads right make sure the pictures are perfect always shoot from up here not down here because those extra chins do not look good right that actually isn't a condemnation i'm actually trying to help you right so all those good things right all these things woe to you woe to you woe to you he's going man do you not see it it's got to be exhausting and i just would go isn't it what would it be like to not have to perform like what if you could go to bed tonight wake up tomorrow and go not performing today my value doesn't come from it instead i'm going to open my eyes I'm going to let the light in. I'm going to receive his grace and mercy and forgiveness. That's why it's so beautiful in the Old Testament where Jesus says to us, his mercies are new every morning. You hear that? It doesn't say every week, like once a week you need them. It doesn't say once a year at New Year's resolution. It literally says every single morning his mercies are new. Why? Because you should wake up and open your eyes and receive the day as a gift and receive his grace and mercy as a gift receive his light and let it let it fill every single part of you every single day because you will mess this up you will go back to performance art every single day what would it look like this way i'm gonna go god you're gracious and good and then allow that to fill you literally every day receive his mercies you know see it open your eyes and see it have a grateful heart for how gracious the fact that you are still breathing is a gift from god right receive it and then, then after receiving it, then respond. Then go about your day because you've received that. Instead, he goes, woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seats, right? And then verse 44, he goes, woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves. And people walk all over them without knowing it. This is so deeply offensive to these people. So deeply offensive because one of the things that's happening here is they would mark graves really, really clearly because you were not supposed to step on them. Because if you stepped on an unmarked grave, that would have made you unclean. And if you get unclean, you have to go into quarantine. I used to have to really describe this. Y'all know what quarantine is now, right? You've had the experience of, oh, can't work for two weeks. Oh, can't play those ball games. Oh, my player's not going to play in the, in the Super Bowl, whatever that is, right? Because they, literally, if you, you, if you got exposed to a dead body, you were shut down for a week. But it wasn't like you just got to sit in your house and play video games. You had to go and do this ridiculous amount of cleansing. Then you'd have to go find a rabbi to do this ridiculous ritual to kind of tell you you were unclean, no, no longer unclean. A week of that. And he's going, here's the thing. You're like unmarked grave. So he's saying two things. You are spiritually dead. And you are defiling people when they come into contact with you. You see, here's what's so messed up. You think that helping your kids perform better is actually helping them. No, 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 no. 
You've just helped them believe in this broken religion that if they perform well, they're loved, and if they don't perform well, they're not. If they perform well, God loves them and is proud of them. When they mess it up, he's not, right? And so he's going, hey, this is what you're like, religious people. You don't even get it. One, you're spiritually dead. Two, you're so unmarked in this that people actually come into contact with you, and you think you're helping them, but you're actually defiling them. Then he says this, verse 45. One of the lawyers answered him, teacher and saying this these things you insult us also <laughs> this is so funny like jesus is coming after him and guess what he says jesus you hurt our feelings see this this is so funny these are corrupt religious people who are spewing out laws and expectations spew 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 and then finally some truth hits them and they go oh, my feelings are hurt Right? It automatically moves from truth to feelings real quick. And so he goes, teacher, in saying these things, you insult us. You're telling us we're spiritually dead. You're telling us we're dirty. We're not dirty. Look, my shirt's tucked in. My hair is parted. Look, I'm not dirty. And he said, woe to you lawyers also. Right? The people who handle the law in the scriptures. For you load, this is verse 46, for you load people with burdens hard to bear. And you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. You say you respect so much, declare so much, and you are not even doing these things, but they don't know it because it's actually in your heart. And he continues, and he says this, because Jesus loves them. He says, out of love, woe to you, for you build tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed, so you're witnesses, and you consent to the deeds of your fathers, for they killed them, and you build their tombs. Therefore, also the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and persecute, so that the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against you. Uh, this generation, verse 51, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, it will be required of this generation. So he's saying a lot here. He's going, here's the deal. You've built these big altars that go, oh, we love Solomon. You built these big altars that go, oh, we love Isaiah. You built these big altars that go, man, we love Jeremiah. And he's like, do you not understand? It was your great, 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 great grandfathers who were murdering them. And you're doing the same thing, but you do more performance art to go, no, no, we love these guys. He's like, you don't love these guys because they actually told you to repent and change what you're doing and you actually continue to do it anyway, right? You, you create these big altars to celebrate something that you're not actually doing in your heart. And he actually tells us about two of them real quick, Cain and then Zechariah. Cain was a guy, really, really messy. And so Cain and Abel were the first two sons to ever be born from uh, Adam and Eve. And they offered some uh, worship to Jesus. One of them was a blood offering, one of them what? But here's what happened. Jesus peers into their heart, God peers into their heart, and literally uh, Cain's offering was not acceptable, and Abel's offering was. Right? Hey, Cain, you're performing religion. It's on the outside. Hey, Abel, I see in your heart. So what does Cain do? He murders the, his brother. How dare him, right? I want God to like me best, and right now I'm number two in God's, uh, you know, family tree as a, as, my, as a grandson, right? How do I get to number one when you murder number one? So he literally murders them, the first kind of martyr in the scriptures. You know, if you go all the way to the end, and the last martyr that we see show up is actually Zechariah. And God has a, has a, sent Zechariah as a prophet to say this, why do you transgress the commandments of the Lord so that you cannot prosper? Because you have forsaken the Lord, he has forsaken you. So he literally tells them, it's going to end badly. Open your eyes. Guess what they do? They stoned him in the courtyard of the house of the Lord. They stoned him. Oh, you know, we don't want that. We got to close our eyes. We got to put a lid on it. He literally gets murdered. He's going, here's the thing. When you have made religion your God, the idea of free grace, by the way, which is very expensive, Jesus just pays for it. Free grace, free mercy every single day that today you get to wake up and be loved and God be gracious. For those of you who go, no, 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 because they'll keep using it. They'll keep taking advantage of it. It's going, no, no, you're the one taking advantage of it because you've thrown it in the trash and said, no, no, it's all about performance. They should perform like I should perform. And he's going, no, 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 that's religion. You cannot choose that. You've got to choose Jesus and you've got to choose to see him. You've got to choose to receive him. Then you've got to choose to respond to him. Then you've got to choose to reflect him. Watch what it says next. As he went from there, oh, man. So he literally goes, no, you murdered the guys who stand up and tell you to open your eyes. You murder them. You murder the guys who tell you that Jesus loves you and that there's a plan for you. You just murder them because that is not your performance art. You do not get celebrated as the best in that category because Jesus gets celebrated as the best. And as he went away from there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to press him hard and to provoke him to speak about many things, lying in wait for him 
to catch him in something he might say. See what's happening here? This is where we finally see inside their hearts and the premeditation of what's going to happen. Jesus comes to offer them grace and mercy and peace and hope and the kingdom of heaven. And these guys go, that's not what we're looking for. We're looking for a guy who can fix our problems, fix my marriage, make our church great again, make our nation great, whatever it is. That's what we're looking for. We're not looking for someone who comes in and casts out all the darkness in us. We're not looking for that. We like our darkness. So what do they do? They say it out loud. They literally begin at this point to conspire to murder the God of the universe. That's what they do. They just put him to death, right? Because they cannot hear this. They do not want to hear it. And Jesus is going, see it, I just told you to open your eyes and you literally are closing your eyes and walking in darkness. You will not see me. You will not receive me. Therefore, you can't respond to me and you can't reflect me. So what do you do with that? What do you do? On Tuesday, I'm going to share a little bit more with you about what Jesus says right before he gets murdered. So skip ahead a year, year and a half. Uh, but no, sorry, not even a year. Where Jesus is talking and he tells them this weird thing. He tells them to abide in him. Abide in him and let your, his word abide in you. So this is the last thing you have. So we see the beginning of the, of the calculation. Now we're going to, we can see the end, but it really is this. It's, what do you do with this message? You see him. Like, do you see Jesus? You see him. Like, do you see him as loving and gracious and kind? You see that cross up there? You see that cross that literally represents all he did, but you see that he's not on it. Not because we don't value what he did, but we value the fact that he got off the cross. He's a resurrected body, and the same power that he lives in and conquered the grave is now available to us. So you see him. You see him in every part of your life. You see him. Will you receive him? Will you let that light come into every part of you? That takes some real boldness. That means open up the windows, open up the door, and you go, Jesus, would you illuminate? Would you bring lightning into my life to reveal those things that I've made about me and the religion that I've offered? Maybe it's your religion is escape. Maybe it's pleasure. Maybe it's performance. Maybe it's security. Maybe it's comfort. I don't know what it is, but would you have the courage to invite him in? And would you receive him? And then, then would you respond to him? Would you go, yep, God, that's not of you. I repent. I confess that I've chosen that over you. Would you forgive me? And then as he starts to pour his light into you, would you reflect him? Number four here isn't something that you can just jump to. That only comes from first seeing him, then receiving him, then responding, repentance. And then as light comes in, it starts to reflect. And so what I'm going to do, the band's going to come up here and going to lead us in one more song. You're going to recognize it. This is the one that says, open up the windows, let your light in. But as part of kind of the series, and as someone just loves you and cares about you, I just wonder for many of us if we've never actually received him. Like literally never opened our eyes and received him. Right? And so there's two different pieces of this. For the first time, some of you, this might be the time to finally, for the first time, you've opened your eyes and you go, Jesus, I want to receive you as Lord and Savior. Literally, he will mark you as his child. He will bring you into the fold and he will give you the kingdom of heaven today. You might not see it yet, but he will give you the kingdom of heaven today and you'll get to operate in the fullness of what God has for you. Little by little, more light will come in and that darkness will dispel and you will walk in the fullness. So maybe for you is that. For others, maybe just 70% of you has its eyes open. 80? Could you imagine what the other 20% would look like if you just said, God, Jesus, would you come into every part of me? Would you fill me? Would you come into my finances? My eyes are finally open. Would you come into my marriage? My eyes are finally open. Would you come into the purpose of my family? My eyes are finally open. Would you come into my job? My eyes are finally open. Would you come into uh, my, my kids' sports teams? My eyes are finally open. So for many of you, it's just going, okay, God, my eyes are finally open. So for just a second, would you... You just close your eyes if you're comfortable with that and bow your head. If you don't, it's fine. It's not a big deal, but just to focus. And for many of you, maybe it's just time you to talk to God and go, here's the parts I want to give you. But for some, I just want to give you some very direct steps. So when life hands you choices, choose better. Your choice that is better today is actually just to ask Jesus to come in. Open your eyes, see him, and then receive him. So let me just give you some words that would help. It's not my words that are going to bring this into you. It's your heart because he sees it. So for just a second, in your head, in your heart, would you just say to God, Jesus, I see you. I see you. Like, I really see you, Jesus. I see what you did for me. I see that you love me. I see that you were crucified for me. 
I see that you were resurrected for me so that I could live into the fullness of what you have for me. So Jesus, I receive you. And now, the Bible says, says that whoever confesses with their mouth and believes in their heart that they're saved, whoever confesses with their mouth, they're saying God will forgive them. So just for a second, I just want you to say to God, look, I see my religion. God, I acknowledge my sin. I'm sorry. You can tell him you're sorry. Then right now, you're going to say to Jesus, would, would you forgive me? Would you forgive me? And it's, he's going, done, done. Been waiting forever. You are free. Nope, nope, nope. There's no price for it. It's done. Would you just receive him and confess and go, God, I'm sorry. And would you forgive me? And he's going, absolutely, you are forgiven. <laughs> and then would you respond to that declaration by just thanking him? Thanks, Jesus. Calling him Lord. You really are Lord and Savior. No one, that means you're the boss. So would you come into every part of me? So I know it's just inviting him into every part of you. So as you do that, one of the craziest things happened, this is what's so crazy about the gospel is that is the only thing that's required for God to completely change you and completely change your trajectory. And you are now on a collision course with the kingdom of heaven and God. And he is bringing it to you. And that means you and him forever. That means eternity. That just got available to you. And the scriptures say when that happens, like... Heaven pauses and throws a party. Meaning like all of heaven is going, yep, that's my daughter. Yep, that's, that's my sister. Yep, that's, that's the one, right? Like they're just celebrating. So I just want you to know you are being celebrated for your bold choice of just letting the light in. And I would challenge you at some point to just make that known. To let that be known. Let that light come right out of you. Maybe it's send us a text or email. You can email me personally. Just let me know so we can celebrate and help you walk in this. But for now, would you continue to let this light in. So the band's going to lead you in this song. You can sit and receive or you can stand and respond. Up to you. At whatever time you think. So guys, would you lead us as we receive and respond? It's time for the sleeper to wake. It's time for the old winds to change. I hear the Spirit say, It's time. It's time for the dead man to rise. It's time for the great Shine. I hear the Spirit say it's time. Oh, it's time. Fling wide you heavenly gates. Let the King of glory in. Let the King of glory in. Come right in. On your people's praise, let the King of glory in, let the King of glory sing wide you heavenly gates. Let the King of glory in, let the King of glory come right in on your people's praise. Let the King of glory in, let the King of glory in. All right, we're going to sing Open Up the Windows. Open up the windows, let the light in. Open up the windows, let the light in. Open up the windows, let the light in. Let the light in, let the light in. Open up the windows, let the light in. Open up the windows. Let the light in, open up the windows. Let the light in, let the light in, let the light in, open up the windows. Let the light in, open up the windows. Let the light in, open up the windows. Let the light in, let the light in, let the light in, open up the windows. Let the light in, open up the windows. Let the light in, open up the windows.
Gospel's really, really simple. You don't have to perform. You just have to open your eyes. That's it. Open your eyes. Let the King of Glory in. So I'm going to pray for you and pray that you have supernatural courage to just open your eyes this week and receive Him. Receive Him. And then after you receive Him, just respond to Him and to the world around us. Let me pray for you. Jesus, I pray that you would fill our people, your people, the ones that you love, with your light. Would we have the courage to open up every single window and every single door and every single lid and let you in? So, God, we receive you. And then, God, I pray that we have the courage to respond to you in whatever way you call us. So would you give us your eyes to see and your hands and feet to serve. And pray all these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. We love you all. Hopefully see you soon. Tune in Tuesday for the Overtime Podcast. If not, see you next week.